Amen. Now while remain standing, uh, let us listen to the reading of the Gospel of John chapter 13 verses 1 to 17, which is going to be the basis of our sermon uh, today. Uh, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid his, aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing to you, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's, wh that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Please be seated. Now the title of my sermon today is The Gospel Comes with a Basin and Towel. And hopefully it will become a little bit clearer as we go along. Now friends, our culture is kind of obsessed with cleanliness, isn't it? We like our clean environment. We like our clean energy. We like our clean houses. If any one of you at one time were a big fan of Marie Kondo, you know what I'm talking about. But today we are going to talk about a different kind of cleanliness. You know, every once in a while, if I meet someone who's not from Christ, uh, Christian background or keen to get to know Christianity, I usually read with them one of the Gospels, either the Gospel of Mark, because it's short, or sometimes the Gospel of John. And the material that I use, usually use is the material called the Word One-to-One. -one. You're free to look it up. It's very helpful material. So I'm sort of going to go, going to go through this passage based on that material. So imagine we are sitting not only with this event, but this, with this passage in front of us. Now, as you probably recall, the second part of John's gospel, starting from this chapter, chapter 13, 
there's a huge change. At the end of th- chapter 12, it's basically the end of Jesus' public ministry. And now, chapter 13 onwards, which is basically only the last week, the last, the last few days of Jesus' life, we enter into Jesus' personal and private discourse. In fact, in these chapters from 13 to 16 onwards, it's a long passage, private conversation between Jesus and his closest followers and his disciples explaining how his death and resurrection, which is only a few hours away, probably from this washing of feet, there's only 16 to 18 hours before they dragged Jesus out of the garden and into the cross. Now, notice that in verse 1, it says, this is the time of the Passover, the feast of the Passover. Oops, sorry. Need the next slide, please. You can, yep. Now, before the feast of the Passover, so that's the timing. That, that gives us a time frame when this washing of feet uh, event happened. So notice the Passover. That's an event, a huge event. They still celebrate it today. They, they remember God's rescue from judgment through the sacrificial death of a lamb for the people of Israel. In fact, for Jewish people, their Passover is their spring cleaning. So not only they're celebrating what happened thousands of years ago, but you probably remember one of the, the things that God commanded them to do is to clean their whole house out of yeast. So it's, it's usually during Passover, it's everything is about cleanliness. They would clean the pots, the pans, the kitchen, the, the, the whole uh, living room, the whole bedroom. They, they want to make sure everything is clean as they approach this important day. But notice this. The next thing that, uh, that, that is mentioned there in, in, in verse 2, coming up, uh, coming up to this, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now, if you've been keeping track with the Gospel of John, this word hour, this appointed time is repeated many, many times. Okay. But now the hour has come. And it says there, he, an hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loves his followers even to the point of dying for them. So Jesus knows soon, in about 16 to 18 hours, he will complete his work and return to his Father. His hour has come. The cross it's only less than a day away. And yet at the same time, he also knows that he is in control. Look, look at verse 3. His father has put him in charge of everything. Jesus, knowing that the father has given not some things, not a few things, but all things. Probably reminds you of the great commission in Matthew 18. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. He's in full control. He's in charge of everything. And he also knows that God, that he had come from God, that is, God has sent him. Remember that that word? He is the one being sent by God. And God will welcome him gladly home. So he's on the way back to God through the cross. Now, 
Jesus, knowing all these things about what is going to happen, who he is, he's in full control. What's he about to do? Well, you know, we, we already read earlier, in the middle of the supper, in the middle of dinner, he gets up, he takes off his outer robe, practically undressing himself in front of the disciples. You can imagine how awkward that's going to be. He takes a towel and a basin. He bends down and he starts to wash the disciples' feet one by one. All 12 of them. And as you can imagine, there, there has to be a very awkward silence. Probably the only noise that they could hear is the water being poured out, the, the basin wiping the feet, okay? And the disciples probably muttering among themselves, what's going on? What's going on? And as, as, uh, uh, as it is usually the case, uh, Peter, Simon Peter can't, he, he, he thinks this is unthinkable. How can the one who is in full control of all things, which is later mentioned as the Lord and teacher, the one who has all power now basically strips down to his underwear and bends down, taking the post of a servant, the lowliest servant even, even and wash their dirty feet. And you can, uh, you later, the disciples, they don't actually understand. They have no clue what Jesus is doing. Verse 7, Jesus answered them, what I am doing to you, you do not understand now. None of them did, actually. But afterward, you will understand. It's one of the reasons why this, <laughs> this story is in the Bible. It is written from the point of view of the disciples who understand what, what, what Jesus did. But back then, nobody knew. Now, obviously, Peter is reluctant and very... Um, Adam, he doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet because he knows who Jesus is. In fact, if you, if you remember back in chapter 6 when a lot of his disciples left Jesus, Peter and his mates, the other 11, are the ones who say to Jesus, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Everybody may go, everybody may uh, submit their resignation from, everybody may unfollow you on Instagram, okay, or even block you from their WhatsApp messenger, but not us. We are still with you. But what Jesus is saying is this, notice this. If I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Peter and rest of you guys, you cannot be right with God unless you are washed, unless I cleanse you. And this act of washing, if, I, if you may pull back a, a little bit, a few verses before, is really a picture of what Jesus will do on the cross. If you want to count with me from verse 4, you remember John really likes his numbers. Yeah, you remember number 3, number 4, Number seven is very popular. Again, a picture of completeness. Now, notice from verse four. There are seven actions of Jesus. He rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water in a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, and wiped them clean. 
It's a complete action. Again, mirroring what he's going to do only a few hours later, what he's going to do on the cross by washing away the sins of all who put their trust in him. In fact, a lot of commentators have uh, reflected on this. And if you remember in our words of encouragement earlier um, from Philippians chapter 2, it's, this is basically um, Apostle Paul's version of John Therene. You remember? Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he rose from the supper, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He laid aside his outer garment, taking the form of a servant, okay? Taking a towel, tied it around his waist. These are all servants, servant-like actions, right? Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He poured water into basin and began to wash and wipe his disciples' feet. This is probably one of the few times when Jesus, instead of telling a parable, he becomes his own parable. He becomes the, the storyteller, the story and the action. And again, what Jesus is saying, if I do not wash you, Peter, and my disciples, if I do not save you, you have no hope apart from me. In other words, none of us can be right with God unless Jesus makes us clean. It's not about what we do. The disciples, they don't do anything. It's about what Jesus has done. We all need his cleansing. And it seems like Peter as it is usually the case, sort of gets what Jesus is saying, but not quite. This, is, this misunderstanding theme is very common in the Gospel of John. Um, you notice, I think, in, in verse 9, when the light sort of comes on in Peter's head, he says, oh, sorry, verse 9, he wants much more of this washing, right? He says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Basically, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body. I want more of this. It's right in one sense. It's wrong in another sense because Jesus has to correct him, remember? He's basically saying that once you have come to Jesus for forgiveness, you have been made completely clean. But when we sin again, just like when we get our dirty feet, we don't need to be completely washed clean again. All we need to do is to wash our feet. That is, we need to confess our sins to God. That's what Jesus is saying. The one who has bathed do not need to wash. And by the way, leading up to the Passover meal, not only they will clean the house, they will also clean themselves. So it's like total spring cleaning the house and the, the ones who live in the house. So cleanliness, cleaning your life, cleaning yourself is a big thing uh, during that period. But what Jesus is saying is this. The one who has bathed do not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. You guys, plural this time. Although, not every one of you. For Jesus knows the one who is going to betray him. We'll get to that later, okay? But the idea is this, guys. What we do need, if we have a relationship, if we have, if we have been cleansed by Jesus, is to confess our sins to God daily. 
drawing from that power, that forgiveness that comes through Jesus' death and resurrection. So people are, who are made clean by Jesus are declared right with God once and for all. Now, I know there are a lot of bad things said about Russia these days, but um, let me tell you a story about uh, Tsar Nicholas I of Russia. So this was many, many years ago. Now the Tsar, so the Tsar is like a king in Russia. He's great, he was greatly interested in a particular young man because this Tsar, Tsar Nicholas, had been friends with the young man's dad. When the young man grew up, Tsar Nicholas gave him a wonderful position in the army. He's stationed in a place of responsibility at one of the great fortresses of Russia. The young man was responsible for the monies and finances of a particular division of the army. Now at first, the young man did quite well. But as time went along, he became quite a gambler. Before long, he had gambled his entire fortune away. He borrowed from the treasury and also gambled that away. Few rubies at a time, until one day he heard that there was going to be an audit of the books the very next day. So he went to the safe, took out his ledger, and figured out how much money he had and subtracted the amount he had taken. And as you might guess, he sat at the table, he was overwhelmed at the huge astronomical debt he has incurred. And he took out his pen and wrote on the ledger, a great debt who can pay? A great debt who can pay? Question mark. So the young man, obviously, he did not He's not very keen, to say the least, to go through the shame of what would happen next day of the audit. So he took out his gun and promised himself that by the stroke of midnight, he would take his life by killing himself. It turned out it was a warm and drowsy night. So as the young man sat at the table waiting for the clock to strike 12, he dozed off and fell asleep. Now, Tsar Nicholas apparently had a habit of putting on a common soldier's uniform and visiting some of his fortresses, his outposts. And at that very night, he came to that particular fortress, and as he inspected the fortress, he saw a light in one of the rooms. He knocked on the door, but no one answered. He, tried, he opened the door, he tried the latch, he went in, and there was the young man. Tsar Nicholas recognized the young man immediately. This is the man I've entrusted with all these things, the man I favor because of my friendship with his dad. And then he saw the note on the table and the ledgers, the finances, the astronomical debt. The Tsar's first impulse was to wake the young man and to arrest him for all his crimes. But then he was overtaken with a great wave of generosity. Instead, he took the pen that had fallen out of the soldier's hand and wrote one word on the paper. And then he snuck out of the room. 
About an hour later, a young man woke up and reached for his gun and realized that it was much after 12. Then his eyes fell upon the note he wrote. A great debt. Who can pay? Question mark. And then he saw immediately that one word added. A great debt. Who can pay? Nicholas. The young man dropped the gun, ran to the files. He thumbed through some letters, correspondence, and found that this was the Tsar Nicholas' writing. The note was authentic. He realized that the Tsar Nicholas has been here and knows of all my guilt, but he has undertaken my debt, and I do not have to die. You see, the young man trusted the word of Tsar Nicholas. And sure enough, soon the money that he needed came along, came. You see, friends, but this is nothing, really nothing compared to what Jesus did for us. Each one of us has astronomical depth. Each one of us should write a great debt who can pay. And I bet not many of us has an uncle in Russia <laughs> who will help us in the middle of the night. But we have a far greater hope in Jesus, right? So let's be amazed again at the love of Christ for us. When we think about this part of the story of Jesus, let's look at the amazing picture of this all-knowing, all-powerful Jesus. And let's follow Peter's example, at least by saying Jesus I want more of you in my life. Friends, how can we not love someone who gave up not only a few hours, not only a bunch of money, but gave up his life for us so that you and I could be cleaned up inside? It's really incredible Jesus to think that Jesus knows everything about us. And yet he is the one who is willing to give his life for us. He knows that he came from God, that he will go back from, from God even though through the cross in order that we too can go back to God. He puts on a towel, he washes and wipes his, his disciples' feet. And even though he knows that not only he will be taken away, but one of them will betray him. Jesus' focus is in loving his disciples and he loved them to the end. Now that's all well and good. Let's be amazed again at the love of Christ for us. But that's not all there is to the story. Jesus' foot washing is a picture of his cleansing love on the cross. But it is also an example of how his followers should behave toward each other. Now, this is a great challenge for, not only for our church, but I believe for every church. See, once we are washed and served by Jesus, how should we, beha we behave? This is, this is like the so what question of this sermon. Well, the simple answer is that we should serve one another. Okay, let's look at, uh, I think it says that in, 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 in verse 14, isn't it? See, Yep, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am, if, notice this, if I then, 
your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, what's the next sentence? You also ought to wash, not my feet, not your enemy's feet, at least in this instance, not the unbeliever's feet, but, oops, one another's feet. So I've given you an example. I don't ask you to pay me back. That's not how grace works, right? But the way grace works is the, the grace that you receive is intended not for you to hoard by yourself, but for you to share with one another, giving grace and receiving grace. So Jesus has set an example to be followed. He reminds his disciples in verse 16 that no servant is greater than his master. Some of them will be his messengers, bringing the gospel far and wide. Some of them will serve at home. Some of them will, will serve doing administration work, but all it comes down to is serving one another. Now, a few years ago, a pastor was talking to a person who had about half a million dollars invested in the stock market. So the pastor asked this person um, at the time, did the recent time when the stock market lost value affect you a lot? Oh, it really did, the guy said. Did you think before that the market might not do well, like the market might, might crash? Oh, you know, that's the funny thing, he answered. About two months before the market went down, when the Dow Jones average was still high, we had a meeting with some people who sometimes invest together. And I remember saying in that meeting that the market couldn't keep going up like it was. I said it had to go back down. So they knew what was going to happen. Surprisingly, everyone agreed. And when I suggested that we should sell our investment at the time, they also agreed. But you know, none of us actually did it. None of us sold. So when the market went really down, we all ended up, what? Losing money. You see, friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus explains that those who follow the example will be blessed as they serve. The blessing is for those who do it. Not, for, not only for those who understand it, who take it, they are, they are great blessing in understanding and listening and taking God's word. But notice, Jesus said in, in, in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you, full stop, no. Blessed are you if you do them. Don't be like that investor knowing the market will come down, agreeing that that's the right course of action. Yes, the market will come down, but nobody sell. It's not, oh, it is on the slide, sorry, I was looking, okay. So, yeah, blessed are you if you do them. Now, some of you are probably familiar with the term hurt people, hurt people, right? Which basically means people who are hurt deeply, emotionally, usually have the tendency to hurt other people. Now, if I may summarize this passage in a similar sounding 
sentence. It's going to be this. Hopefully it's up in the slide. If not soon. There you go. Clean people. Clean people. People who have been cleansed by the blood, by the death of Christ, fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully part members of God's family, having guaranteed not only for this life, but life to come, we are the clean people. Not because we are cleaner, nicer, better than other people. You all know that, right? We are clean people. But clean people don't just remain in their holy huddle. Clean people also clean people. We cleanse other people. We cleanse each other. Blessed are you if you do them, Jesus said. So the, the question is this, what do you do with the words of Jesus? Notice, Judas listened to Jesus' words. He performed some of his miracles. I mean, some of the miracles by the power that Jesus gave him. He was washed, at least physically, but did none of them. More than one time in this passage, Judas is mentioned as the one who betrayed Jesus. But the question for us, guys, is this. Is there someone in this church, in your close circle, that you won't wash? I'm not saying physically, washing their feet. But is there someone that you, won't, you can't be bothered to engage with, to share God's word or God's love with? Is there someone that you can't be bothered to help because of who he or she is, who they're affiliated with, who their friends are, the mistakes they did either to you or other people? Or on the flip side, are you open for others to wash you, to speak God's word to you, to encourage you, to remind you, to rebuke you, to strengthen you? A reminder of being clean people that cleans people is also this, friends, that when we serve others like Jesus, it doesn't mean that we'll always be liked by others. Some of you probably have already paid the cost. We try to serve and love and care for other people. We end up not being liked or being ignored or even canceled. Some may even hate us. Even Jesus will say later in the same discourse that the world will hate you, clean people, because they hate me. So it is a given. We, we won't be always be like, we won't always be liked by others. But still, the challenge remains. Clean people, clean people. What dominates our conversation among our church friends? Is it gossip or the gospel? What dominates our action? It is our own agenda or the gospel. So remember, clean people, clean people, the gospel does come and still come with a basin and towel. Let's pray.